This morning we get to continue looking at uh, the book of Mark. A couple of themes that we pick up again um, this morning as we're seeing Jesus move uh, back to his hometown in Nazareth. And, and one of the themes that we see in these first five chapters and now moving into the sixth chapter is the, the question of who is Jesus. And Mark already has an idea of who Jesus is. He, he's already seen the end of the story as he's writing this, right? So he's going back and getting this account from Peter as he's remembering, as Peter's remembering, like these are the stories of what it looked like to walk with Jesus. And Mark's trying to, to put these stories together to, to give us a picture of who Jesus was, what he said, and what he did. But the question that continues to rise up out of the mouths of the people that meet Jesus is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Many of the people in these first chapters have been forced to ask and answer this question. When we think about it, the crowd who observed him cast out the unclean spirit in the very beginning of his ministry, they they said this, they said, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. They ask the question, what is this? The Pharisees who witnessed him healing the paralytic and forgiving his sins. Remember that? That was pretty mind-blowing for them. And they said, what is this? Why does this man speak like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The crowd in that same story said, we never saw anything like this. So there's this awe at what Jesus is saying and what He's doing, at His teaching and at His miracles. Remember the people that saw Him eating with, those, with the outsiders. When the, the Pharisees would come and they say, why does He eat with sinners and tax collectors? Right. So all of these questions, like who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? The scribes from Jerusalem, they didn't have an answer for the question, so they made up their own. They said he's possessed. He's he's possessed by a demon. Even remember just a couple weeks ago, the disciples in the boat, after Jesus calms the storm, they asked the question, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So everywhere that Jesus goes... Because of the things that he says and the things that he does, the question arises of who is this Jesus? And many of the people actually had right answers. John the Baptist, he, he comes before Jesus and he proclaims, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John understands that when Jesus comes, there comes a power and a presence of the King that's greater than anything that He could give them. I remember we had the voice from heaven at the baptism that said, This is my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So, so there's been right declaration of who Jesus is. Jesus Himself says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we have probably one of the truest declarations from one of the most unlikely places is that as we've seen, demons and unclean spirits, all of them have confessed a truth about who Jesus is. They said, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
At another place, they say, you are the Son of God. And finally, they say, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So the most clear, the most explicit declaration of who Jesus is comes from these demons who know this is Jesus. He is the Son of God. And they realize that He has a power and authority that, that He can tell them what to do. And so then we come to this story. Again, Jesus is going home to Nazareth. We saw earlier in Mark's account where He went home and it, and it didn't end well. Well, I'll just spoil it for you. This one's not going to end well either. Like He's going back to the people that you think if anyone's going to get who Jesus is, if anyone's going to understand who He is, it's going to be the people who knew Him best. The ones who spent the most time with Him. The ones that He shared the most history with. And here He's going back to His hometown, His relatives, His family, His household. Surely they're going to have the answer to that question that everybody's asking. Who is Jesus? They're going to know. Right? Alright, well let's pray. God, we would ask that you would give us ears to hear, even as we think about maybe how familiar we are with your story. Maybe we can recite scripture. Maybe we can walk through uh, the stories of the Old Testament and how they pointed to a king who would come. And, and we've seen how you interact with people, Lord, but we can, we can come casually to that. And I pray that we wouldn't today. I pray that by your spirit and through your word, you would work in us awe and wonder of who you are. God, that we would believe, that we would be given the gift of faith this morning to look at both your humanity and your divinity and say, truly this is the Son of God, the one who has come to redeem us, a broken and lost people, to himself. So Lord, may we never enter in casually, but may we come with awe and respect, and may it change and conform us. God, we pray for this declaration that's being made um, throughout the world of your greatness, of your holiness, of your beauty. I pray that there would be people today that would hear about it for the first time, and their lives would be changed. God, and I pray that us today who are hearing about it for, for many, many times, that our lives would be changed, that we would be in awe, that it would make us live differently for your glory. God, we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, as we look at these first three verses, um, you just see this idea that, that the people are not amazed by Jesus and his person. They're amazed by his teaching, but they're not amazed by his person. As a matter of fact, they they, they begin to ask questions and they're rhetorical questions that point to just Jesus' humanity. The fact that He's really not all that special. Verses 1 through 3 say, He went away from there and came to His hometown and His disciples followed Him. Now that's, that's key because His disciples following Him means that He's coming as a teacher, as a rabbi. If you have disciples you're doing something, that you're teaching them something, and so they're following you. And so this is, this is the way that Jesus is coming back to his hometown. And as we've seen throughout Mark, whenever he would come into a town, he would go into the synagogue, and often he would sit, and sometimes he would teach. 
And so he goes back to Nazareth, his hometown, followed by his disciples. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Jesus is teaching, and probably there's other people there that are recounting, recalling what, what Jesus has done. They're reminding the people, hey, this, this guy that's teaching, he cast out demons out of this man. He calmed the sea and the storm. He's healed the, the woman. She had this issue of blood. And so they're retelling these stories about who Jesus is. They're saying, he even raised this girl who was dead back to life. And so they're coming and they're retelling these stories even as Jesus is teaching. And so that's hard for the people who knew Jesus to believe. The people who grew up with Him. Imagine, we got some brothers here, we got some sisters here. There's this internal jealousy that we have sometimes about, hey, you get these good things and I want these good things too, right? Not, okay, maybe not here, but in other places, just in culture. We'll just throw it out there. But no, even here, we want good things. We want glory. We want the, the, the best. And we'll even fight and strive for it amongst ourselves. And so here Jesus is coming back, and his brothers and his sisters and those who know Jesus are saying, wait a second, this guy is the same guy. Like, he might be coming back with disciples this time, and he might be teaching these things, but he's the same guy. But the teaching is awing them, like, Listen, we don't know if this is the same passage, but in Luke, there's a passage where Jesus comes in in Luke 4, and he, he, sits, he comes to Nazareth, and He teaches, and He reads out of the scroll of Isaiah. And He's from Isaiah verse 61, or chapter 61. I'm just going to read it for you, because we need to know, like, the teachings of Jesus, they, they're hard for some people to swallow, Jesus opened the scroll and he reads in the synagogue in Nazareth among his own people and he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Listen, this, this is the type of teaching. And then Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled. And imagine if you're His brothers and you're saying, wait a second, you just said that all of scripture pointed to you. And that you are something special. But I know, like, like we, we play tag and you're not even that fast, right? Or I remember that, that we built stuff and you were just a carpenter with me. And we shared a labor together. It goes on in, in our passage today in verse 3. It says, they ask these questions. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph? And Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? 
These are the types of questions that they ask. Like, we know this guy. He's just a carpenter. Listen, and that's a big deal for them because in that day and age, you don't move in class. Like, where you're born into, that's what you do. So Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph, and he's a carpenter. He's, a, he's a, a man who does menial labor with his hands. Manual labor with his hands. And they're saying, now he's coming back and he's this rabbi? But he, did, he didn't go to school. He hasn't learned under any of these people. How is he doing these things? And so they're asking these questions. And then, then it actually gets a little worse because it says, isn't this the son of Mary? And in this culture, everyone is known by their father. That's just the culture that that is going on at that time. And so if they made reference to you, they would make reference to who your father was. And so in this comment, isn't he the son of Mary? There's, a, there's an accusation of Jesus' illegitimate birth. Like he is born out of wedlock is what they're saying. And so they're saying that, that I don't even, we don't even believe that, Jesus, that Joseph is his father we know Mary's his mother, but he doesn't have a father. I mean, these are the kinds of things that you wouldn't expect from people who don't know you, much less the people who do know you and have grown up with you, but they're really trying to establish, like, this doesn't make sense. Who is this guy that he would, he would in his pride, begin to claim these things for himself, that he's a rabbi, that he's a teacher, that he's the son of God? That he's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Who is this? And so they are, at the end of verse 3, they took offense at him. They took offense to Jesus. The Jesus that they knew. The Jesus who grew up in their household. And, and according to scripture says that he was without sin. So he's got to be the greatest brother that you could ever have. Right? The greatest son that you could ever have. The greatest nephew that you could ever have. And yet you're coming up with stuff to be offended by him. You're recalling these things. You're making these accusations. That he's proud. That he's arrogant. That he's trying to grab this attention. We know that in Jesus' appearance, there's not a lot that would draw us to Him. Again, in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, we, we have this description of the suffering servant who would come. And we know that that suffering servant is Jesus. And in the beginning of Isaiah 53, it says this, Who has believed what He has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him. No beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. And that's, that's what Jesus is walking into. In His hometown and the people that should love Him. That should esteem Him. That should encourage Him and say, This is, this is Him! But instead, he's despised, he's rejected. He knows sorrow and, and, he's, and he knows grief. They hide their faces. They don't even want to be known as part of him. Essentially, his brothers, Judas and Joseph and James, 
and Simon are, are rejecting even that he's their brother because they're not even claiming him because they're sons of Joseph. But this man, he's a son of Mary. Imagine the, the grief and the anguish that you would feel. Especially if you're trying to bring them the good news. Like the gift that, that would save their souls. And Jesus is bringing that to them and He's rejected. They took offense to Him. They claim that He's trying to be more than what He should be. It was scandalous. Like, we don't understand it because we grew up in America where you can be anything you want to be. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, try really hard, and you can go from the lowest to the highest. We have that freedom, and it's beautiful. But in this culture, they didn't. In this culture, you don't move up. You stay where you're at. And so this... This idea of them taking offense is, is that it's a scandal. But here's what we have from Peter. Peter that's giving this account to Mark. And Peter that later on writes to the church to remind them of who Jesus is. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 6-8, through it says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, it says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. We can blame Jesus' brothers for not understanding, for taking offense, but the reality is that God has established that there would be no reason to come to Jesus except that you've been given the gift of faith, the given the gift of belief. It's not a familiarity or just a growing up in it, but it has to become your faith and your belief. Listen, kids, today, you, you, you are not saved because of your family's belief. You are not saved because of your parents' faith. You would be saved because of your belief and your faith. Joseph and Judas, or jo Joseph and James and Simon and Judas are not saved because they were brothers to Jesus. Thankfully, we have some recorded history for James that he does later believe. That he writes a letter to the church and he grows in his own faith and belief of who God is. But it's not because of his familiarity. It's not because he grew up with Jesus. It's because he has a faith that he is the Son of God. And so today, I would, say, I would challenge you. Like, today is the day that you can say, no, I don't, I no longer want to go from our faith. I want to go to my faith. And that's our prayer. Is that one day our faith will become your faith. 
That one day you will cling to that and you will say, listen, if everything else is stripped away from me, if even my family is stripped away from me, I have my faith in Jesus. So we pray that God would do that. That the cornerstone of Jesus would become the the thing that your faith is built on. And if that's true, like if, if we look at it, this cornerstone that's chosen and precious, right? There's a beauty there. It's casual because it's building, like it's the thing that everything's built on. And so we, we have a familiarity with it. And yet, it's the thing that if it was rocked, everything else would fall apart. So we can't take it for granted. This faith that we have is a gift that we have for us. This is the Jesus that was rejected by his own family. But there's two realities at play here. There's a reality of who he was in his humanity, that he wasn't all that special. But there's also this reality, a true reality that's taken place. He did not come and and grab and overreach and try to obtain a better status. He actually humbled himself. So even the accusations that his brothers and his family is making is is not true. The, the truth is what we have in Philippians where Paul writes to the church in Philippi in chapter 2. You see, Jesus had not grasped for glory in His humanity, but in His divinity He had condescended to us for our sake. He came to His brothers for their sake. Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedient to the point of death. Does that sound like... uh, Someone who's trying to obtain a status or reaching in pride? No, it sounds like a a humility and a love and a grace that permeates everything to the point of death that He would save us. This is the grace of our God that He would send His one and only Son to atone for our sin. The truth of the Gospel is that you and I, along with Jesus' closest friends and family, right, these same people that are rejecting Him, We're sinners. We'd like to think, well, if Jesus came back to us, we would have totally just wrapped him in our arms and loved him and proclaimed and worshipped him right then and there. But we're sinners just like them. We're unable to fulfill the law of God through our obedience and we're unable to pay for the, the penalty for our sin. Even through our death, we cannot pay for the penalty of our sin. So God sent Jesus. And Jesus humbled himself and said, I'll go. I'll be obedient to the Father. I will walk in what you've called me to do, even death on a cross. And he came and he lived and he died in our place. And so now, the righteousness that he walked in is our righteousness. The death that he paid for sin is our payment 
The Jesus that we've rejected has become the cornerstone that our faith is built on. Verse 4. Jesus uh, recalls and, and speaks a proverb that is known at the time and it's not listed anywhere else in Scripture, although Jeremiah references many times where he's rejected in his own hometown. But Jesus, in verse 4, says, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. Um, the challenge has already been laid out for the, for the kids here. But there's another challenge for us as, as adults, and even for, for some of the kids that have been around for a long time. We can come and we can think that every Sunday we know what we're going to do, because that's just what we've, we've said. We're going to gather here. We're going to sit under the Word. But we can have that same very casual very rote idea of what the Christian life looks like for us. And we need to be in awe of Scripture. We need to be in awe that we have the opportunity to sing, to worship as often as we do. As often as we can gather. It can't be this thing that we just do. It's got to be this thing that we long to do, that we desire to do. That everything in us was created to do. And we remember that. But the honor that Jesus would receive everywhere else doesn't happen with those who are acquainted with Him, who know Him, who have a familiarity with Him that just kind of goes and says, oh, that's just Jesus. And so we have to be careful that we don't come with that same thing and say, oh, that's just what we do. Yeah, we're Christians, it's just what we do. No, we're Christians by grace that Jesus would step down from heaven and humble Himself and come and enter into humanity. There's no just to that. That's awesome. That should change and shape the way that we live. We should give honor to this God. What does honoring the King look like? It looks like knowing Jesus in both His humanity and in His divinity. Truly loving Him and seeing His beauty. That's what honoring the King looks like. Paul goes on in Philippians 2 and he says this. He says, therefore God has highly exalted Him. Right? This, this Jesus who humbled Himself and entered into our reality... God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does it look like to honor God? It looks like a declaration that He's Lord. I think often we come and we're like, yes, He's Savior. He, is, he has redeemed me. I am saved. But there's a second piece to that. He is Savior and Lord. He saves us to what purpose? For His glory. So that He can now shape and craft our lives. Every area. As we slowly, by the, the working of the Holy Spirit and by the reading of His Word, see, God, there's things in my life that You want to change, that You want to do. 
God, and, and you are Lord. It says, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has the right to do with me what he will. For his glory. And often, the beauty of that is that that's for the salvation of those around us. Like, so that they would see that God is good. That his mercies are new every day. That even in the midst of struggle and pain and sickness and pandemic, God is good. We honor Jesus when we confess Him as our Lord and Savior. Finally, verses 5 and 6, it says, And He could do no mighty work there, except that He laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them. And He marveled because of their unbelief. And He went about among the villages teaching. This one's tough. You, you wrestle with it and you're like, wait, He was limited in His ability? Now, listen, I, I think that if he can control the wind and the waves, he can control anything. But you see that in his relationship to people, he called them to faith. He never did a work or a miracle without some form of discipleship going on. Some form of calling to say, now believe, trust. Right? Jairus's, uh, Jairus, last week, where he looks at him and he says, listen, don't look at the circumstances. Do not fear. Just believe. The same thing. With the woman with issue of blood, your faith has made you well. But what we're seeing here is that in his own hometown, there's no belief. There's no faith. And Jesus is in awe of it. He's amazed by it. He can't believe it. They could, how could they hear the stories of what he's done and who he is and still not believe? And so he goes and he, and he goes elsewhere where there is belief and where there is faith. And so our call today is to believe, to trust, to call others to believe and trust with us. To worship God, to look at Him as our Savior and as our Lord. So what about you? Is there evidence of faith, belief, and trust in your life? Has knowing of and about Jesus turned into a deep love, a deep affection, a deep desire for Him, an adoration for Him. We have the idea that Jesus is our Savior. Do we have that evidence of His saving grace in our life? Through His life, His death, His resurrection, has He become the cornerstone of everything that we build? Or are we building other things? And is, so is He our Savior, but is He also our Lord? Do you trust Him and obey Him as the one who redirects and reforms your life, your love, your habits? Is there a change that's taking place in us? You see, the evidence is overwhelming, but we must be given the gift of having our eyes open, having our ears open to believing. So many times, Jesus would end the parable and He says, let, lo let those who hear, let lo those who have ears hear. So we would pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, would you open our ears? Would you give us the gift of faith and belief today? Would you give my neighbor the gift of faith and belief today? Would you give my brother the gift of faith and belief today? God, if you would, it would be by your hand and by your grace that that would happen. Do we beg like all those other people that we've seen who come to Jesus and beg? Or do we just take it for granted and say, that's just Jesus. 
It's the same guy that we grew up with, that we know. We don't have to beg. We shouldn't have to beg. There's good news for us today. Not only for the one who has never believed, right? So, so those who have, who have never believed, today would be your day of salvation if you would believe and say, this, that faith that's ours, I want it to be mine. And we would rejoice in that. If that's you today, this could very well be the best day of your life. It could be the day where God, does, God takes you and you can have a trust and a faith and a confidence in Him that can never be shaken because He is the cornerstone that God has placed. And anything built on that can't be destroyed. But it's also good news for us who are familiar today, that have been around for a long time, that have experienced Jesus and yet, often our hearts just become lukewarm. It's good news for all of us today. It's the good news of the kingdom. Jesus says it, Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Lord, would you, by grace, stir in us belief, trust. God, would we take hold of our faith and say, that's my faith. God, I've heard about you, I've heard about Jesus, but I, I need him to be mine. God, and as we do that individually, we do that corporately, and we say, God, you are ours. We are the bride that you have ordained and called. God, and we have the gift of being by grace saved. Lord, and, and by grace we have a better Lord than we could be for ourselves. We have a, a God and a King who brings order and peace in the midst of chaos. And so we trust You for that, Lord. We want to be obedient and walk in Your ways because we love You. Lord, would You do that in us today? We repent of the ways where we have run and chased after other things, where we have tried to build other things than your kingdom that is built on Jesus, the cornerstone. God, would you do these things in our hearts today for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.